pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week is our second week looking at the Old Testament book of Ruth. Last week, you may remember, we covered the first chapter. We looked at the hardships faced by Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law. Ruth actually stayed by Naomi's side as she traveled and went back home. Ruth left behind all of her family. She left behind her culture. She left behind everything she knew. Chapter one ends with Naomi, the mother-in-law, bitter and hurt from all of her losses. She has lost her husband and both of her sons. And still, Naomi tries to make a better life for her her two daughter-in-laws. She tries to tell them, no, you should stay in your home homeland so you can make a new life for yourself. Ruth and Naomi teach us how hard and how worthy it is to love people during difficult times. In the first chapter, we learned that Naomi decides to go back home and Ruth follows her. Ruth takes on that identity that Naomi had. When Naomi was a foreigner in Moab, now Ruth is going to be a foreigner in Bethlehem. Naomi has lost everything and rightly so wants to go home. Ruth too has suffered loss, but in following Naomi, she gives up everything. Ruth finds herself in a new land. After I graduated college, I moved to Dallas to begin seminary. One of the people I'd worked with at church camp the previous summer also happened to live in Dallas, and he was pretty much the only person I knew in the city. He had gone to college at SMU, so all of his friends had stayed around Dallas, so they were nearby. He had also just started a new job, so he had a whole group of friends there too. When I moved to town, I didn't know anyone. And my friend there was not in need of any new friends. He had plenty. And still, when I moved to town, he immediately invited me to hang out with him and his group of friends. Not just one time, continuously. Anytime anything was happening, I would get invited to come. He didn't have to do that. I definitely was not pressuring him to do that. I don't even know if I would have done the same for him if he would have moved into somewhere I lived. It's not really my personality. Because of this friend's invites, I met my husband. I met my best friends. I found a place to belong. The families that we get together with on holidays, the ones we surround ourselves when big moments in life happens, the families we go on vacation with are all people I met through that one friend 10 years ago. When I first started hanging out with this group, I didn't know all of their inside jokes. I didn't know most of the people they would reference in stories. I didn't know their abbreviations for restaurants or places to hang out around Dallas. And still, they kept including me. They kept inviting me into their lives. 
They helped me find a place to belong. That place was and is with all of them. This morning, we are going to take a closer look at the second and third chapters of the book of Ruth, and there is a lot jam-packed in these two chapters. This is one of those times where I wish this was more of a Bible study setting so that we could all go much deeper into everything included. Suffice it to say that I am not going to take us through each moment in those two chapters this morning. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. You won't be here all day. I will encourage you, though, as you go home to, again, read through Ruth. Look at these moments. Look at these movements and see how God is speaking through them, even when God isn't always called by name. For us this morning, I want us to to zero in on Ruth's identities. So, and how those identities, those identities like Moabite, foreigner, widow, they're all identities that should hinder Ruth in this unknown land. And instead, they're overcome by this extraordinary woman. Once Ruth and Naomi settle into Bethlehem, we enter into the second chapter of Ruth. Ruth 2 begins with the first through seven verses. Now Naomi had a respected relative, a man of worth, through her husband from the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field so that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth went. Ruth arrived and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was the family from the family of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Boaz said to the harvesters, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. It's very pleasant, isn't it? I told y'all last week, these are just good people. It's like a fairy tale. Hello, hello. Okay, let's continue. Boaz said to his young man, the one who was overseeing the harvesters, to whom does this young woman belong? The young man who was overseeing the harvesters answered, she is a young Moabite woman, the one who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She said, please let me glean so that I might gather up grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on her feet from the morning until now, and she is set down for only a moment." Naomi and Ruth, while they are home in Naomi's hometown, they are in need of food. They're widows, so they are limited as to what they have inherited from Naomi's husband and her two sons. Ruth takes it upon herself to go out and provide sustenance for them. Gleaning was hard work. It was tedious. It was back-breaking. And often it was a very dangerous thing for a person to do by themselves, especially if they were a woman. 
The men who harvested the land first, they often lived together during these times of harvest, and often they could act with a mob mentality, which meant they didn't always act in the most honorable of ways. For a woman to glean the field means that they would come behind these harvesters and harvest whatever had been missed or overlooked. Sometimes this may be fruits or vegetables, but often it was a crop like grain or barley, and it had to be husked and threshed, and then it had to be mixed with other ingredients before it even became something that was edible. It's not like she just picked up a batch of apples and brought it home to Naomi and they had food for a week. Instead, there's this whole thing involved. It's a lot of work. And to glean, to offer your land to be gleaned, was an act of charity. So someone like Boaz, someone who owned this land, would allow those people in the Bible that are mentioned to take care of people like the widow, the foreigner, the orphan, the poor, they would be able to come and find sustenance to provide for themselves. But even though this was an act of charity, it didn't mean it was easy. It was really hard for those gleaning to get actual food. That's what Ruth is up against here. She is in a land far from her home and family, And she's beginning to do this really difficult work to provide for her and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi's status was dictated by the culture of that time. They did not have an opportunity to make money of their own or to provide for themselves in a respectable way. Instead, they had to rely on others in order to care for themselves. Their identities as widows wasn't one that they chose. They didn't choose to not have their spouse anymore. Ruth's identity of foreigner should have closed many opportunities in this new land. And yet, the land she by chance happens to ask permission to glean upon is indeed the land of Naomi's husband's relative, Boaz. John Wesley makes this interesting observation about this specific passage. He writes, many a great affair brought about by a little turn, fortuitous as to men, but designed by God. The book of Ruth is a little bit like the book of Esther in this regard. Both books don't include God directly speaking with God's people. Instead, you catch these glimpses of God working in every moment, even when God isn't named. When Boaz learns that Ruth is the widowed daughter of Naomi, daughter-in-law of Naomi, and is a Moabite, which I don't know if you noticed, but the servant mentions two times, lest any of us forget her identity, When Boaz hears all these things, he invites Ruth not only to glean on his land, but to also surround herself with his female servants so that she isn't taken advantage of or attacked by anyone else. Boaz offers Ruth protection, and Ruth is surprised by this generosity. 
We haven't seen Ruth obviously persecuted by any of the Israelites because of her identity so far. But Ruth's surprise here at Boaz's generosity leads us to believe that she still feels very much like an outsider. Ruth goes on to ask Boaz what has she what she has possibly done to earn favor in his eyes. Boaz responds with this verses 11 and 12. Everything that you did for your mother-in-law after your husband's death, Ruth, has been reported fully to me. How you left behind your father, your mother, and the land of your birth and came to a place you had not known before. May the Lord reward you for your deed. May you receive a rich reward for the Lord from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Here is where Ruth becomes more than her identities. Those identities of Moabite, widow, foreigner. Instead, Boaz takes notice of how Ruth has been faithful to Naomi because that is her true identity. Ruth is loyal. She is kind. She loves others well, even in their hardest moments. That's Ruth's identity. These are the things that are reflected in the way that she lives her life and in the way she interacts with the world around her. Now, if you know me, I really hate to yada yada over parts of the story. This is going to hurt so much. Yada yada. Ruth continues to glean the fields throughout the harvest with this new identity, with this compassion shown to her by Boaz. And then in chapter 3, Ruth asks Boaz to provide for her and Naomi in a way that only he can. Ruth 3, 9. Ruth replied to Boaz, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread out your robe over your servant because you are a redeemer. Boaz is Naomi's husband's relative. And legally, Boaz is able to marry one of the widows, which would offer them long-term protection and stability. Chapter 3 ends with Boaz saying that he appreciates Ruth's boldness. But unfortunately, there is another relative that is actually more closely related to Naomi. And so he gets first dibs, for lack of a classier term. And we are left on a cliffhanger. That is how chapter 3 ends. We don't know whether or not Boaz or this unnamed relative will be the ones to save these women. This is one of those Old Testament books that really shows its age. Because they are women, because they are widowed, because at least one of them is considered a foreigner at every turn of this story, they are unable to make it in the world by themselves or so society tells them, and yet they continue to make it. Ruth finds ways to provide. She finds spaces that she shouldn't be able to inhabit, and yet she does. 
Naomi helps Ruth learn about their culture and the rules, and she asks Ruth to be bold with Boaz. The women do everything in their power to push back on those identities that they've inherited. And instead, they strive to find their own place in the world. We catch a few glimpses here of Naomi finding hope for the first time in a long time because she hears that Ruth has won favor with Boaz. We see Ruth tirelessly and selflessly continue to prove her love for her mother-in-law. And we even see Boaz provide Ruth with this place to belong. Yeah, it's doing hard work, but it's a place where she's safe and where she can continue to provide for Naomi. A place where she is revered for her faithfulness to Naomi. Even in a foreign land, Ruth begins to slowly get her bearings and a new path forward begins to emerge. If I'm being honest, me moving to Dallas is nothing like Ruth moving to a new land, the enemy's land. But even if we can't identify with Ruth's specific situations, we each do know what it feels like to be alone to feel alone, to feel as if maybe you're going through life by yourself or like you're always a step behind everyone else. Our world has reached a new level of understanding of what it means to be lonely. With the pandemic and the many ways we've figured out how to isolate ourselves from one another. Ruth and Naomi may have lived way back when, but still today, their story of looking for that community and finding a place where they are provided for is still a real battle for most of us. In what ways are we working to meet the people around us? In what ways are we being inclusive to the people right under our nose? Those that we work with, those that we are on social media with, those that we worship with. Here in modern worship at Christ United, we always say that this is a place for all people. Our pasts, our baggage, our mess, it's all welcome in this place. Because we believe that that is the true gift of Jesus' love. That it is accessible to all people for all time. That grace abounds. We are all beloved children of our creator. And we each deserve to not be alone. If we truly believe this, if we truly believe that we are not meant to be alone out in the world, how can we embody that identity outside of these doors? What are ways this week that we can reach out to someone and include them into our lives? Maybe it's meeting up for a meal. Maybe it's sending a card to them in the mail. Maybe it's sending a quick text that says, hey, I've been thinking of you. How are you? 
everyone deserves to have someone who cares for them. What if we can be that person for someone else? Haven't there been moments in each of our lives where we wish someone would have stepped up to the plate and checked in with us? Who should have let us know that we weren't alone, that we weren't forgotten? Let's all work to be a little bit more like Ruth this week. Even though Ruth was the outsider, she continued to find ways to love the world around her. And that love may just lead to her building a new community of her own. We'll find out more next week. <laughs>